invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, if you have your bulletin, you can just go there as well since um, that was our call to worship. We're going to be looking tonight at the doctrine of the perseverance uh, and the preservation of the saints. As uh, Nick pointed out, there's really two sides to one coin. Uh, saints, uh, to be saved, must persevere. If we do not persevere in the faith, we will be lost. And the, the, the uh, other side of that coin is the only reason we do persevere in the faith is because God preserves us. And tonight, we're going to be looking at that second aspect of it. We're going to be looking specifically at the preserving uh, power of God in our life. And so uh, let's uh, go to John, Chen, John 10. And I'm going to uh, pick it up at verse 22. And we'll read through verse 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord's blessing. Our God in heaven, you, uh, Lord God, have given us this word, the word of Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you, O oh Lord, that uh, we have this privilege to hear his voice. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear and believe and take great comfort tonight in you, the, the, uh, com- the assurance that we can have as, as children of God. And I pray, Lord, if there are any here tonight who do not know Jesus uh, as the Christ, uh, the one sent from God to save them, Lord, I pray that your spirit... Tonight would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember, I don't know why uh, this memory is uh, clear to me, as, and I suppose I increasingly wonder as more and more memories become uh, less clear, but I remember having a conversation with my mother. Um, I was probably 17 years old, and uh, it was a winter night, and we were, uh, I had gotten home late, uh, uh, later than I was supposed to be home, and I had driven through a winter storm. Uh, to get home, and we lived uh, out in the country ways out there in Coopersville, and so when I get in the, in the house, mom was waiting for me, and there was a, a mixture of uh, relief and anger in her voice, and she says, well, why didn't you call us to let us know that you were going to be late? That's a fair question. Uh, this is before the age of cell phones, uh, and um, I never called the folks to let them know when I, so it just wasn't something you did, at least, at least not something we did. And so I, um, it seemed like a, a strange request. And, and, and so I said, well, why, you know, we never call. She said, I, well, I know, but there's, you know, there's a, there's a storm and, and we were afraid uh, you had crashed you know, in, in, the, in the winter storm. And uh, in my youthful arrogance, uh, I I counseled her, well, I, I obviously didn't crash, and you shouldn't worry like that. Um, and, and maybe said some other things that, that uh, I don't think helped her at all. Uh, looking back, 
I see how uh, just stupid and inconsiderate I was. I, I, as I think about it, my, my mother's confidence in my driving ability had probably been shaken the day I got my driver's license. I remember that as well, uh, May 26, 1979. And we went uh, into Hudsonville to pick up the, uh, to get my driver's license, and I probably got behind the wheel. And in about two miles, I blew past a, uh, a stop sign at a busy intersection. Uh, my mother went a little charismatic on me at that point. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. So she didn't have a whole lot of uh, confidence in my ability, but, but much more significantly, I should have been um, vastly more sympathetic to her anxiety because, you see, Mom had already lost a child. A little Bobby uh, was killed when he was 18 months old, uh, hit by a car. And, uh, and having been through the experience of teenage drivers myself, I can only imagine the prayers that uh, she offered uh, when we were out, uh, Lord, please bring them safely home. Well, tonight we're concluding our uh, series on the doctrine of salvation and looking at a, uh, the doctrine that assures us that all of God's children will arrive safely home. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, doctrines in the Bible. It's, uh, I, I love the truth that God preserves His saints so that every single blood-bought child of God, will certainly, without fail, make it safely to their eternal home. That of all the, uh, the countless number that God has elected to save in Jesus Christ, not a single one will be lost. Uh, we've looked uh, in previous times at the, some of the texts that suggest it's possible that you might be able to lose salvation. I'm not going to get into that tonight. Uh, we've just walked through those texts in the past. If you want to uh, reference for, and listen to those sermons, I can, I can give that to you. Uh, what I want to do tonight is just look at the, the confidence that we can have, why it must be true that God's children, every one of them, uh, will be saved. Uh, we've, we've studied in this series the doctrines of election and calling and regeneration and faith and repentance and justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification. I hope that you've been uh, benefited and blessed by those wonderful gospel truths. But um, the doctrine of perseverance uh, answers the, the, the common fear that b believers may have, which is, how can I know that the chain will hold for me? And uh, throughout the history of the church, there's been a great uh, debate about uh, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. In fact, a, a Roman Catholic cardinal uh, once said that it is the doctrine of assurance that is the heresy of the Reformation. Uh, that is the great error of the Reformation, to tell people that you can have absolute confidence that the work God began in you, he will carry on to completion. You see, the, the concern was, if we tell people that, they will no longer have motivation for godly living. Of course, the exact opposite is true. It's precisely the confidence that you cannot and will not be lost, that Jesus Christ will gather home every single child that the Father has given to them, including you. That is the confidence that drives godliness and obedience and love. And so tonight we're going to be looking at um, this wonderful truth about uh, the perseverance of the saints. We'll be wrapping it up. And it's a good place to, close, to wrap up because it is this truth, you see, that holds all these chains together and, and to make sure that that chain holds us. Uh, why is it, you see, that, that we can be absolutely sure that everything in that chain of redemption will hold for us? And the answer is because that is the chain by which God holds us. It's his chain. It's his work. 
and God never fails. And so we have in the Confession of Faith, chapter 17, those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. If you are a a Christian and if you're awake, um, that is really good news. What are the grounds that we have for assurance? We'll look at that first. And I'd like to just briefly walk through uh, the different uh, grounds that we have here in the Westminster Confession as it summarizes biblical biblical truth uh, in paragraph 2. Why must the doctrine of perseverance be true? Well, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but, and then it lists about five things, the the immutability, the unchangeable character of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit, the seed of God within them, the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arises the certainty and infallibility thereof. That is a really nice paragraph. Um, There's just reason after reason why we can have boundless confidence that we're going to make it home. The first being the electing love of God the Father. I love how the, uh, the confession begins with this because this really is the basement level. This is the foundation of all assurance. It's the idea that um, there is a, uh, we are saved, if we are saved at all, because of the free and unchangeable love of God the Father by which he elected us and his election then being immutable, unchangeable. Think of, those, think of why it matters that God loves you freely. What that means is that there was nothing in you that made, that as, as God sort of scanned human history, um, he noticed, wow, I need that one. Uh, there's a worthy one there. Uh, this one has potential. No, the, God's love was not bound or constrained by anything in us. And the reason that's good news is, you see, if he loved us when there was nothing worthy about us, he's not going to abandon us when he realizes that this is true. The Lord isn't going to be disappointed. He knows what he's chosen. He knows those whom he loves. He knows what you're about. The shock of the Christian life is when we wake up to it. And we start realizing how weak we are, how fickle our faith, how, how slow our sanctification. But the Lord God knew this all along and loved us freely and therefore is able to love us eternally. And he loves us unchangeably. His love being rooted in his own character, his unchanging character, he's not fickle. And therefore his love never changes. And then you see, it talks about <clears throat> the love of God, uh, the foundation of it all. Paul says in Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. And then it speaks of the immutability and utter unchangeableness of the Father's decree of election. Uh, God never changes his mind. Uh, some of us change our minds a lot. 
Some of us a lot, a lot. Um, God never, imagine this, God doesn't change his mind. And so even in the Bible where you see that the Lord may be repented that he had done, that, that's, we, we, that's language where, where the, uh, God is condescending to our experience, trying to give us some sense of his, his anger or grief at, at some event. But the Bible says, uh, I change not, says the Lord. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I love what William Hendrickson says, God is not like men. Men conduct experiments, God fulfills his plan. That's a nice quote. Men conduct experiments, let's try this, let's maybe give that a try. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's experiment in this over here. Maybe this will work. God doesn't, he doesn't do experiments. He does plans, purposes, and always fulfills them. And so that's, that's, a, that's incredible ground. You see, if you're chosen, you're going to be always chosen. Nothing can change. The, the, secondly, the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ. Two things in Jesus. That, that, that mandate, you see, that we must be preserved and must persevere. The merit of Jesus Christ just means that uh, when he died on the cross, his, his death actually accomplished redemption. Did not make it possible, did not make it even probable, made it an absolute certainty for all of those whom he died to save. And the intercession of Jesus Christ then is linked with that, so that Jesus, we know, is now at the right hand of God, not pleading for mercy for you, the sinner, but pleading for justice for you, the sinner. On the basis of his atoning sacrifice, the righteous life that he offered up, the, the atonement that he made, Jesus says, Father, now that I have paid the penalty, I've died for that soul, for that person, uh, Father, on that basis, I'm asking you for justice. Well, shall not the God of heaven do what is right? Is there any chance that the Father will say to his son, no? There's not a chance in the whole world. It is God who justifies, who is he that condemns? And so the, the effective ministry of Christ in his intercession for us and in his, the accomplishment of the cross. And then the, the, the confession talks about the, the binding of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, Paul writes that it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Preserves us. How? He anointed us, he says set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Can you imagine? The Bible is just full of language like this. The New Testament is full of language of assurance of the promise of God, the power of God to preserve God's people. Fourth, the seed of God within them. So Peter writes, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Uh, boys and girls, um, maybe you've uh, done some uh, experiments in school and you take a seed and you put that seed in some soil and then you water it and you watch it grow. Uh, if maybe, oftentimes you use maybe some, uh, a bean seed. Uh, maybe you could use uh, some corn. It doesn't matter. But my question for you, boys and girls, is this. If you, if you plant a corn seed, what sort of plant are you going to get? You're going to get a plant, a corn plant, right? If you plant a bean seed, you're going to get a bean plant. Why? Well, because the nature of the seed determines the nature of the plant. We all know this to be true. 
Well, it's exactly the same, the Bible says, when it comes to a Christian, that when God plants his divine life within us, the seed determines the plant. It it is the life of God that he's placed within us, not something else. And that life of God, you see, then necessarily means that it will produce children of God. And so the seed that's planted within us is guarantee that we are God's and will be with God forever. And then finally, the nature of the covenant of grace. And we could talk a lot about this, um, but the nature of the covenant of grace, where God says, I will be a God to you, to your seed after you, your children after you. It's a unilateral covenant. That means that God, all the obligations of the covenant fall on God. This is not a, this is not a, a, a working together. There's no synergy in that sense here. All the, all the work and, and all the obligations fall on God in Jesus Christ. And in that, God says, I will, I will be a God to you. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive your iniquities and remember your sin no more. That's the covenant of grace. Jeremiah 32, 40, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing them good. That's the covenant of God's salvation for sinners. That's what God promises to you in the covenant of grace. God doesn't change his mind. And so the the confession lays out for us five very Uh, every one of them being sufficient all in and of itself as a ground of assurance. Now, the the, the question for you, uh, Christian, is do you feel assured? I think one of the the, uh, difficulties that we maybe face is we become complacent and we don't really think about the day we die. We don't think about um, standing before the Lord. And so maybe assurance just isn't an issue for you because you've never really faced that. But you're, you're going to face those times where um, the diagnosis comes back and you face your own mortality. Uh, you're gonna, you're, and of course, we're all going to face the day itself. But, but in those moments, and I would encourage you to think about that day, the day you're going to die. Are you ready? That's what this is about. Are you Are you confident? That, um, that Jesus Christ will receive you? Are you, are you confident that, that heaven is really your home? So that death has lost its sting? And the fear of death is melting away? That's the, the assurance that the gospel gives to us. Um, this is, uh, I'd like to take one verse as uh, we look at the gift that defines your future in John chapter 27. I just like having one text for these various doctrines that we can sort of cement this truth uh, in, in a particular text. In John 10, 27, we read where Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees and just tell us you're the Christ. And he said, I've, I've told you I'm the Christ. My works prove that I'm the Christ, the one sent from God. But you don't believe. And there's a reason you don't believe. And that's because you're not my sheep. And, uh, but he says, there are, so, there are those who are my sheep, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. Every, that is such a precious text. Every phrase, in a sense, drips grace and assurance. Uh, Jesus says, I have my sheep. He, he claims people as his very own. They're they're his. It's a legal claim. They belong to him, bought by his own blood. That, friend, is the glory of being a Christian. That's the tragedy of not being a Christian. 
Because there's, there's only two options. You either belong to, spiritually speaking, the devil, or you belong, spiritually speaking, to, to God in heaven. And, and belonging to Jesus, it's the most beautiful thing that ever could be said of you. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 6, to all those who are in Rome, called to belong to Jesus, verse 6. I, it's just such a magnificent phrase. Called to belong to Jesus. What, a, what an amazing truth. What an amazing reality. We're not just friends of Jesus. We're not just, we are that. Jesus says, you're my friends, because I, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. But that's not all we are. We're not just followers of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus if, if we hear his voice and belong to him. But, but most fundamentally, we're the, we're the personal possession of Jesus Christ. We are his. His name is, is, is put upon us. We belong to him as his bride, his family. And Jesus says to these folks, I, I give them eternal life. And, and Nick explained what that eternal life is about. It's at, 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 it, in its essence, it's knowing, having relationship with, with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is the life that we're, we were created to live, the life that God gives. It means that, Jesus says in John 11, that we will never die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die die. Not ultimate death. It's why Jesus can talk so, not glibly, but casually in a sense about physical death. So when Lazarus dies, Jesus says that he's fallen asleep. And the disciples are, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, that's great. He's going to be fine then. And Jesus has to explain, no, he, he died. For Jesus, it's the same thing. If you have eternal life, Death absolutely is, is no different in, in, in that sense than falling asleep. There's no harm that comes to you. Not eternally. It's, this is why, friends, Jesus came. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus says, John 5, Whoever hears my word and believes in me and believes in him who sent me has, as Nick pointed out, present tense, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed, past tense, from death to life. We've already crossed that river. Isn't that amazing? You li we live in a world, friends, where people are desperate. They sense their mortality. They sense that, that they're made for something more than, than what they see. And when, and when, they, when, they, when they, they discover it's not here, they, they, they just crater into despair. And thinking that, 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 that uh, the abyss will be better than, than the emptiness of this life, more and more people are, are committing suicide. Embracing death as the answer to their misery. And in, in the, exactly this kind of world, the Christian message is that death is defeated in Jesus Christ, that, that people pass from death to life in Jesus Christ, that, that eternal life is available as a present tense reality in Jesus Christ. And you can know it, you can, you can, you can, you can claim it, you can have it, you can be assured of it. And, and it's an, it's a, it, to possess it, you see, is to possess it forever. We cannot perish. 
if we belong to Jesus. No one can snatch us from Jesus' hand. And Jesus goes on to uh, doubly assure us, my Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus acknowledges prior ownership. We're the, we are, um, first of all, we belong to the Father. He created us. Before you were given to Jesus, you belonged to God the Father. You were already loved and claimed by him, and he gave you to his son. That's just a stunning thing to think about. Can you imagine God the Father saying to Jesus in the council of eternity, here's Mike. I want you to have Mike. And here's Mary and Sarah and and Dale and Peter and, and Jesus can you imagine God the Father? It's, it's personal. It's not just this class of people. God the Father named you, gave you to Jesus. That's what, that's what the text says. It's a stunning thing. And yet it's exactly what the Father has done. And, and, and that's the reason, you see, you can, you can be so confident. Because the Father has claimed you and he's given you to Jesus who, who has loved you with an everlasting love, and so you're doubly held by the hand, the secure, sovereign hands of God and, and the nail-marked hands of God the Son. So who will ever, ever be able to separate you from the love of God, which is yours in Jesus Christ? And once again, friend, I just ask, is, is, that, is that just general doctrinal truth to you, or, or is, that, is that truth that you, that you feed your soul with? So when, when you do feel your sin... Is this truth that you recognize that you can go back to your father, he'll never forsake you, and to Jesus Christ, who's a sufficient savior for you? When, you? when you feel your mortality, when you are afraid to die, that you can go back to this and, and rest in this? Do you, have the, do you have the confidence, the absolute confidence that you're going to make it to your eternal home? I've, I've, I've referenced this uh, the movie before. I, I think it's called um, uh, The Kid with Bruce Willis in it, and his you know, when he's, um, he's met by a, little, a 10-year-old version of himself who's just, you know, the, the kid is so disappointed because Bruce Willis, is, he's an adult now, he's 40 years old, he's not married, doesn't have a dog, um, doesn't have an airplane. You know, we grew up to be losers is one of the, one of the, the lines in the movie. And, uh, and, and then the story, of course, is how Bruce Willis, the older self, works with the little 10-year-old version of himself to sort of change some things that happened back then so that uh, they turn out to be a success. And the movie ends, or, or, or near the end of the movie, the, the red, uh, they meet their, their 70-year-old self, and he's, he's got a family. He's got a dog named Chester, and they've got uh, a red airplane, and they go flying off. And I just love the scene where uh, Bruce Willis, the 40-year-old self, and the 10-year-old self um, are just cheering, we made it. We're not losers. Christians, uh, you see, we should be cheering. In Jesus Christ, friends, we're not, we're not losers. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're victors in Jesus Christ. Uh, that there is so much glory and honor destined for you and you for it, and nothing can ever keep you from it. That's what the doctrine of perseverance is about. And the sacrament that we have here tonight is God's gift to you and to me to assure us of this. 
One of the primary purposes of God's sacraments is to assure us that the gospel that we read about is actually true. That it's a visible sign that God gives to us. That he will preserve us, you see. His electing love will never cease. His fatherly care will never end. That that his son did not die in vain for you. That the blood that that was poured from that cross and and as Jesus offered up his body, it is sufficient, it's efficacious, it, it, it actually accomplishes the task of saving you, the sinner. And that this Jesus who offered up his life now reigns in heaven and he is praying, interceding for you to guarantee that all that he died to purchase for you will one day be yours. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And he is able to work out what God has begun and to carry it on to its completion. And God will be faithful. That's what the sacrament, it's a covenant meal. God says, I will be faithful to my covenant promise. To forgive you your sin, to robe you in righteousness, not your own. To, to, um, to bring you home where you will dwell with Jesus Christ forever. This little simple bread and wine that we, that we take tonight, you see, is God's sign to us that there is a banquet table in heaven. And that by faith in Jesus Christ and by the preserving power of God, you will one day enjoy it. You're going to make it. Not because of your intentions, not because of your free will, but because of God's sovereign, preserving power. He's given you to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Nothing and no one can snatch you from his hand. And so as we come to the table tonight, friend, just I want to invite you to receive all the, the precious treasure of the gospel, the good, wonderful news that God is your Father and Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you cannot be lost, not if you belong to him. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we live in the midst of a lost world, and Lord, we Uh, acknowledge that we are weak in our faith. Sometimes we're apathetic. We we don't really think about our sin or our day of death. And Lord, sometimes we're just beset with fear because we do not, Lord, just have the assurance, the, the comfort, the confidence that comes from this such beautiful doctrine. The truth of who you are as our Father and what Jesus Christ has accomplished and what the Holy Spirit has been sent to do and the the covenant that we've been brought into, the seed that's been planted within us. Father, we cannot be lost if we belong to Jesus. Oh God, I pray for, for those tonight who maybe, Lord, do not belong to Jesus. That, Lord, you would place within them a deep hunger and desire to come to him in faith and repentance and be born again to this living hope. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are weak in our faith, that you would mightily assure us and strengthen us. And that, Lord, in the, in the, in the confidence that we will inherit the new heaven and earth, and that we cannot be lost, and death has no threat in that sense for us. Oh, God, I pray that that in that confidence we will say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that we can happily, Lord, strive to know our God, to lead a godly life, to follow Jesus as we hear his voice, and one day, Lord, to, um, to look forward to one day seeing him face to face. So, Father, bless us now as we come to the table, your table. I pray, Lord, that the sacrament um, that you give to us 
would be food for our soul. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.